Hello and welcome to Unbossed. I am your host, Nina Turner, and in the co-host chair today, we have none other than Max Burns. Max, it's so good to have you back on the show. We got a lot to dig into today, so we're gonna get right to it. Jordan Neely, America, you should be absolutely outraged right now. We're gonna talk about Jordan Neely. Jordan was an unhoused black man who was murdered on a New York subway. We're gonna show you what happened. Warning, this video is incredibly tragic and graphic, but we want you to know exactly what happened to this young man. Watch. My God, and for people to think that that was okay. I mean, you see not only was Jordan in a chokehold, but there were two other men. One was holding his arms, another one was milling about, touching on him as well. I mean, it's just, I mean, it definitely gives me Eric Gardner vibes. That also happened in New York where police officers choked him to death. And dozens of people witnessed this murder, it was on the subway. However, the murderer, a 24 year old former US Marine has not been arrested. And the tabloids along with more respected news outlets issue glowing appraise, appraises, glowing praises of the 24 year old Marine. These headlines right here, NYC subway rider, who placed unhinged man in deadly chokehold release cops. New York Post is calling him unhinged when in reality he struggled with mental health issues, mental issues, was hungry, was thirsty and was unhoused. I think that would mess with your mind too. And here's some of the background. Police are investigating the death of a man who was allegedly harassing subway riders in NoHo before one passenger took matters into his own hands. Officials say the altercation happened around 2.30 p.m. on the train at the Broadway Lafayette Street Station. A 24 year old passenger stepped in to subdue a 30 year old man who was acting erratically towards fellow riders. It's not clear exactly how the confrontation unfolded, but it does not appear that any weapons were used. Now the medical examiner has now you know, that was reported earlier, but as of Wednesday, the medical examiner has ruled Neely's death a homicide. Man involved in subway encounter killed by chokehold, death ruled homicide, medical examiner. Now, Jordan Neely, 30, died from a compression of the neck. You saw that in the video, it was very clear. The city's medical examiner determined on Wednesday the following Neely is recognizable to some New Yorkers as Michael, as a Michael Jackson impersonator who regularly danced in the Times Square transit hub. On Monday afternoon, he was yelling and packing and pacing back and forth on an F train in Manhattan. Witnesses and police said when he was restrained by at least three people, including a US Marine veteran who pulled one arm tightly around his neck. Now, uh, let's bring in Max on this. Max, uh, it was very, very clear by that video. 
that he was being choked. And the fact that people in that moment could not see that that was excessive, that the man's windpipe, like our windpipe is literally right here is very troubling to me. Yeah, I mean, this just shows you another step in the complete dehumanization, delegitimization of black bodies. I mean, you see people filming it like it's a movie. They're touching him like it's a circus attraction. This man is strangling a person to death with a chokehold that's barred in police departments. And and what stuns me so much is that so many of the elected officials, the public leaders in New York, who link arms with the left when times are good, are now disgustingly silent on this issue and have somehow lost the ability to say the word murder. I mean, we're chastising AOC for saying what everyone is aware of if you look at that video, that this was a murder, plain and simple. Yeah, it was a murder, plain and simple. And I know that the mayor of that state wants to get into a back and forth with Representative Ocasio-Cortez instead of focusing on the main thing, which is a 30 year old black man was, as you just said, murdered on the F train in his city. And people are acting like it was just another day. Because obviously when it comes to black bodies and even before we actually started the show, Max, you and I were just talking about this, that some of the same, the spirit or the essence or the zeitgeist of of decades past or centuries past is still very much present in the 21st century as much as it pains some people to admit it. Some people don't want to admit it because they don't believe that it ever was true that this country did anything wrong to anybody. Let's know black people, that's the DeSantis camp. Then you got some people who want to believe that all is right because we're not in the 20th or 19th century, you have some people who don't understand it at all, who are just absolutely oblivious. And your point about elected officials who want to lock arms and and be happy, go lucky when times are good, but will not stand when there's some pressure to stand up. And the fact that the media kept reinforcing the fact that this the 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 guy that choked out Neely, that killed him, was a was a marine. Yes, that is an a trip. That is a way to describe him. But they use that description as a way to absolve him from what he did. And then what they what they put on Neely is that he was acting erratic. He was yeah. unhinged. You know, you see how words create worlds. You know, there was a saying when I was growing up, I probably dating myself here now, but I'm fabulous at any age. But sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Nothing could be further from the truth. The way we label things and categorize things, what we uplift and what we press down, it does absolutely matter. And the description that media is given to Neely compared to the man who murdered Neely is like night and day. But it is nothing new when it comes to how this country continues to try to describe and stereotype the black community, especially black men, your thoughts. You're totally right, and it's up to us to push back against those narratives. I mean, the New York Post was not the only outlet to describe Jordan Neely as unhinged. When in reality, the unhinged person is the Marine who just executed a stranger on a subway car in the middle of the day. I feel like I'm crazy here. Like The idea that the person who is the victim of an unprovoked attack is somehow to blame for their own death. Is these are the same people who could not stop talking about how violent New York City was. And now suddenly when it's a white Marine killing a black man, none of those people have a thing to say about crime. Not a thing to say at all, Max, and because Neely didn't fit 
the proper category. He wasn't affluent. He's poor. And not only is he poor, he's unhoused. He has some mental challenges. He's on that train saying he's crying out, letting us know that he really is very much a reflection of America. He's not the only one, but yet now his life is not as worthy and it's being shown time and time again. And I was hoping, you know, in the Nation magazine, I want to encourage all the viewers to go and read this. Eli, uh, Eli uh, Mastal wrote a just searing article in the Nation magazine about this and just the headline of it. One man killed Jordan Neely, but we all failed him. And I think Eli got that exactly right. Everything about Neely's death is a symptom of our collective rot. From the way we treat poverty as a crime to the way we treat soldiers as weapons that can be stolen. I mean, he hit that nail. I mean, he covered that whole thing. A man was choked to death on the F train in New York City this week. The victim, who appeared to be homeless, was allegedly being hostile and erratic on the subway, but he wasn't being violent. He said that he was hungry and thirsty and that he was prepared to die. Another man who reports have identified as a former Marine put him in a chokehold and killed him. The murder happened in broad view of the other passengers and was captured on video. The alleged assailant was briefly questioned by police, then released. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg says the investigation is ongoing. And on Wednesday, the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner ruled the death a homicide, but no charges have been filed as of this writing. And then Eli goes on, Max, and says, now, If I don't tell you any other thing about this story, I bet you can guess who was black and who was white. And that right there is a searing indictment on America. He goes further to say that no black Marine would have been able to put a white homeless man in a chokehold and murder him in broad open daylight with witnesses and walk away. He further puts an emphasis on that by saying that not even former President Barack Obama would have been able to put a white homeless man in a chokehold, kill him in broad open daylight and walk away. A searing Max, a searing indictment on 21st century America. It really shows you exactly where we are, which is that the right is dispensing now with this myth. The stand your ground lie was always just a stepping stone to this, which is that you don't need a reason to kill a homeless person. Because as Donald Trump says, these people are are infected, need to be handled, need to be moved into camps outside of cities. Republicans have been dehumanizing people for decades and are at the point now where they feel comfortable saying, yeah, this Marine did a good service by executing Jordan Neely. They say he was hospitalized or arrested 40 times for psychiatric issues. But that's a failing of our state, not Jordan Neely. The city had 40 attempts to get him care and 40 times they did not. And this is what happened.
That's right, they failed them and they absolutely, we failed, you know, we, I mean, the collective, we fail people like him every single day because yep. of the way the system, the system is set up. This is an example of a systemic failure. And because there was not an immediate arrest of the man responsible for Neely's death, some people are calling out the disparate treatment and rightfully so. And the bias in the media reporting and the headlines, and even larger than that, our own biases as American people, because we've all been socialized in the same society. Max, and it doesn't matter if you're black or white or Asian or Hispanic or whatever, the swirl in between, unless we deconstruct our constructions on matters of race and ethnicity, we can carry those same biases and see some people as less deserving, less human. And that is exactly what happened to Jordan Neely. So for advocates working on the issue of poverty and police abuse, there was a simple reason Neely's killing happened the way it did. And why? In the aftermath, nothing seemed out of the ordinary when the killer was set free. Fear mongering rhetoric about homelessness and crime from Democratic New York leaders, Governor Kathy Holcomb and Mayor Eric Adams. And let me rest right there for a minute because Max mentioned the Republicans and their hypocrisy shining through per usual. Let's just go ahead and sprinkle a little of that Democratic hypocrisy on it, shall we? Because the leaders of the state of New York, a Democrat. The leaders of the New York City, a Democrat. And even they seem to believe that this was okay. They done drank the Kool-Aid on this as well. Now, other responses and reactions that Max and I are going to react to. Let's put up what Dr. Bernice King had to say about this situation. She said the Atlanta New York, New York Post's language in describing the man who was killed is extremely biased and unfortunate. Unfathomable that the killer who put another human being in a chokehold and ended his life was released. What precedent does this set? And she directs it at you know the New York City uh, uh, Police Department and the New York City Mayor, rightfully so. Take, put it where it belongs, Dr. Bernice King. Another reaction we're gonna have here, a representative or no, Benjamin Dixon, an activist and also a journalist, Jesus. When I was hungry, you fed me. Those who are familiar with the Christian Bible, there's a scripture there. When I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was in prison, did you come to see me? When I was thirsty, did you give me water, et cetera, et cetera. And then Dixon says, white evangelists to evangelicals to Jordan Neely. The dude was killed, the, the, the dude who killed the violent subway bum better get his ass to Florida. Hope DeSantis will refuse to extradite him, it would be smart politics. I mean, Max, they taking this as it as it is a game. No, it absolutely is, and it's a game that's always stacked in Republicans' favor. Because in the right's viewpoint, for the attacker, you know, any reason is a good enough reason. For the victim who was murdered, no defense will be good enough to convince them. Because there is no defense someone who is low income, someone who is unhoused can put forward because they're not people. And in Republican view, you know, this is gonna be another Kyle Rittenhouse folk hero here. I wouldn't be surprised to see him on whatever post Tucker Carlson Fox News show they have next week. Oh Yeah, they'll, they'll have a GoFundMe page for him raising yep. money for him right now. I mean, that is ha probably happening as we speak, Max, that's what's gonna happen. And then Representative Jabari Bridgeport, Jordan Neely was lynched. He had no food, no water, no safe place to rest. 
He had the audacity to publicly yell about the massive injustice, so they killed him right on Representative Bridge Park. And then Bishop Talbert Swain, who's always known for telling it like it absolutely is without fear. This is Jordan Neely, a homeless black man with a history of mental illness being choked to death by an ex-marine for allegedly yelling at passengers. NYPD let his killer go. Imagine a black ex-marine choking a homeless white man to death and police letting him walk away. Well, we really don't have to imagine that because that would have never happened at all, America. And in lies the problem. Again, Max, what I was thinking about this story did very much make me think about Eric Gardner, who was choked out by police, which is one of the reasons why they can't use the chokehold now. Somebody he had to be sacrificed for that. But this police officer jumped on this man's back because he was selling loose cigarettes. They knew exactly who Eric Gardner was, just in the same way they knew who Neely. He he's known because of the number of times that he's had to be picked up and 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 people, you know, trying to to, to get him some help, even, even if it's temporary. They know exactly who this man is. But back to Eric Gardner, it's the same thing. It was the same kind of callous indifference. If he hadn't resisted or if he wasn't selling loose cigarettes, he wasn't violent to police officers, he wasn't disrespectful. Cuz see, we always gotta qualify the behavior of black people. See, black people's behavior, we gotta go the extra mile to qualify black humanity. And in lies the problem America is not, I mean, even though the right wing, they are total absolute hypocrites. Max, I, love, I, I argue to you that they are democratic hypocrites as well, and we calling them all out. Without this. a doubt, and there and there always have been. The important thing is is pushing through there, pushing them to act where we can, and pushing past them where we can't. And like you said, the reality with this is that this is a story of dehumanization. This is a story of a man who was killed for simply being loud, for being unwelcome in a place where he had every right to be. And at the end of the day, the fact that our own democratic leaders have played a part in dehumanizing him and making that impunity possible. Yeah. Requires a lot of soul searching from us as as individuals and as a party. Yeah, it does, Max. All each and every one of us, party affiliation or not, this is really a sad reminder of how far we have yet to go in these United States of America. Wrap your mind around this. Our condolences to Jordan Neely's family. And really condolences to this country because this is a sad commentary that in the 21st century, the very variables that people who look like me had to contend with in the 20th century, in the 19th century, in the 18th century is still an absolute reality. This is indeed a stain on America. Max and I'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the show. Now, whenever, if you ever miss Unbossed Live, you can certainly catch us by video on demand. So make sure that you do that. You can go to youtube.com slash unbossedtyt. That is youtube.com slash unbossedtyt. And the progress report, you don't wanna miss this progressive reporting with this wonderful newsletter. Get the progress report, progressive news and inspiration every weekday morning. You can take that smartphone and capture that Q code and sign up right away. 
And also you can check out Unbossed on a podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, you can catch Unbossed. Now onto my favorite, absolute favorite part of the show. Starting with our TYT members, Biden Flavor Corn Pop. Biden Flavor Corn Pop, you know I love his name so much. All kinds of fire extinguisher emojis, fire. A mask on and basically Biden flavor corn pup said, Nina, you need to take extra care today, please, with a heart. And I will, baby, as soon as this show is over, I am going to um, do some things to to get myself back to 100%. But I appreciate you noticing that I'm not at 100% today. God bless you. And Sexy Speed Racer, hey, Sexy Speed Racer, I love your name too. His body was a weapon. This kind of reporting is irresponsible. Indeed, it is sexy being racist. You know, Minister Malcolm X once said that the media can make us love whom they will and hate whom they will. And he spoke a whole lot of truth in his time on this earth. And those words right there, absolutely unequivocally true that the media has the power to make us love whom they will and hate whom they will. Vilify who they decide needs to be vilified and love and lift up those who they determine need to be loved and lifted up. You better say that sexy speed racer. And on Twitch, progressive positive lift. But Tuck Tuck said that white men fight honorably. You are absolutely right on that, progressive, a progressive positive lift. That's what Tuck Tuck said. We got another example. There are many examples of that. I mean, if I go back in history and I think about the Red Summer of 1919, you know, bloody. It was it was it was called the Red Summer because it was bloody as hell. And it was a lot of attacks on black people, black communities. 26 cities across the United States of America where white people attacked black people. And it was mainly white men. But oh yeah, but yeah, according to Tuck Tuck, they fight honorably. Oh yeah, yeah, they do that. And, and and many other examples that I can give you, many other. But y'all look that up, Red Summer of 1919, 26 cities. And I want you to know something, it wasn't just white vigiani extremist groups like the KKK. It was good old fashioned everyday white folks who joined in on that all over the United States of America. Now we got Mad Native Dragon, hey Mad Native Dragon, welcome. I think this might be the first time I'm reading a comment from you. Unhoused people are ignored by most and most people who do acknowledge them do so to use them as example of horrible criminals and treat them as less than. That would make anyone crazy, you got that right Native Dragon. What a horrible feeling, nobody see me and those who do hurt me. You summed that up, Native Dragon. We all need to check ourselves on this. And then Sammy Armin, the third, Nina is fabulous at any age. <laughs> Got me crushing over here. Ooh, Sammy, thank you, baby. I received that <laughs> wholeheartedly. Thank you for lightening the mood. We need it. And Purple Pegasus 2531. Hey, Senator Turner, New Yorker here. The fact that the unhoused man died and our tax dollars pay for underfunded NYC Department of Homelessness is infuriating. You got that right, Purple Pegasus 2531. You know, as a matter of fact, that new mayor that y'all got, he just cut some of the funding to that department. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. Many thanks to everybody that commented. We couldn't get to them all, but we do appreciate you here on Unboss so very much. A lot of just like very heavy news today. We're going to mass shootings another day. 
another set of mass shootings. We are fed up with this. You got some elected officials who are two. Senator Warnock is one mm-hmm. of those elected officials. A shooting, a hospital in Atlanta left one woman dead and four injured, making you realize nowhere is really safe. Take a look. There have been so many mass shootings, in fact, about one every day in this country this year, that tragically we act as if this is routine. We behave as if this is normal. It is not normal. It is not for us right for us to live in a nation where nobody is safe, no matter where they are. We're not safe in our schools. We're not safe in our workplaces. We're not safe at the grocery store. We're not safe at movie theaters. We're not safe at spas. We're not safe in our houses of worship. There is no sanctuary in the sanctuary. And still we have done so very little in this building to respond. You better say that Reverend Senator Warnock, so very little in that building to respond. Hell, it ain't safe to turn around in somebody's driveway peaceably. It's not safe to knock on the wrong door. I mean, this gun obsessed culture in the United States of America is maddening. And it is literally America, literally taking lives. And we're the only industrialized nation that has such an obsession like this. So now the situation in Atlanta happened after a man became enraged during a visit to a midtown medical facility and just opened fire. Officers initially were called to the North Side Hospital Medical in Midtown Atlanta at 12.08 PM Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday. The suspected shooter accompanied by his mother was at the facility for an appointment seeking new treatment after being dissatisfied with the care he was receiving from the Department of Veteran Affairs. According to the suspect's mother, at some point the man became agitated and used a handgun to open fire. So that's what we do now, we mad at somebody we just open fire. He then stole a truck and a manhunt was started to find him, to which they did later today. The suspect was identified as DeLeon Patterson and here is his mugshot right here. Just, hey, I'm dissatisfied with your services, so I'm just gonna open up fire. But the damage was done for his victims. One person was killed and four others were injured. Just innocent people there trying to seek services like him. One person was killed and four others were injured. Three critically in the shooting. All the victims were women. Three of them were taken to a Grady Memorial Hospital are in critical condition while another patient is now stable. One of the patients was admitted with a gunshot wound to the abdomen and another with a wound to the arm. The third critical patient was shot in the face. We're not safe in hospitals, we're not safe in schools, we're not safe picking up siblings from their friend's house, we're not safe in movie theaters, we're not safe in shopping centers because we do absolutely live in a gun obsessed culture. And journalists aren't safe either. Look at this incident from a news station in Memphis. Jared Natham, 25, is identified by his mother as the man who shot into our TV station this morning. That's not the only thing he tried. And it seems like every day, well, let's pull Max into this story. Like every day, every other day, there's a reporter, either some type of mass shooting or somebody just shooting an individual because they have no control. They have no impulse control and they think the way to solve problems is to pick up a gun and just start shooting. 
Yeah, it can feel like there's no hope and no solution to this problem. I mean, you look at Congress that has basically said there's no hope for any federal gun legislation. And that that feeling, it's important to remember, is not the whole story. That in fact, in the states, Democrats have done an incredible job fighting for and winning big gun legislation like Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan passed an 11 bill gun package that was hugely popular. That Moms Demand Action actually pushed the Republican governor of Utah to pass background checks and red flag laws. But the fact is, you know, we can't expect the states to pick up the job of Congress. It's still a failure until we have a federal plan for gun safety because the problem is the guns, period. Problems are the guns, period. And you know, in this country, the people who are those gun extremists, because many gun owners, common sense gun, they want common sense. A gun control, gun reform, you know, call it if you don't want to call it control, call it reform. They want it. Most gun owners yeah. do. But it is that demon seed known as the NRA that really have these elected officials in such a, a, a stranglehold that it doesn't even matter if babies are killed. Literally, these people will not move because they are beholden to the gun lobby and, the, and this entire industry and the industry knows it even leveling threats. The president of NRA actually threatened elected officials. And I'm calling on, I mean, I wanna see the Department of Justice you know, investigate them and take these threats seriously. So it is the guns. We also need elected officials who have some courage of their convictions and who are not beholden to the gun lobby. Now just this year, over 13,000, almost 14,000 people have died from gun violence in the United States. And the year is not even halfway over. As of May 1st, 184 shootings so far in the United States of America. And as you can see on the map where you see the red dots are where the hot spots are, 184 shootings thus far. We are just in the first week of May. And where are these deaths? Deaths occurring, the majority of the deaths have occurred in the following states, Texas, California, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Illinois and Louisiana. And there have been at least 13 K through 12 shootings in the United States. Fatal gun violence in 2023, this graph right here, 578 teens and children killed in gun violence so far. Keyword, so far. And the United States has surpassed 39,000 deaths from gun violence per year since. 2014. So we got a lot of work to do, Max. And it's not just legislation. You know, for me, legislation is one part, right? Because we can't just deal with people's goodwill. We got to put laws in place. That's one part of it. The other half of it is what kind of nation are we really? And what really is in the hearts and minds of most Americans. And are we gonna continue to stand idly by to let the gun lobby continue to control elected officials? Are we gonna continue to vote for elected officials that are controlled by the gun lobby? At some point, Max, we gotta decide whether we're gonna continue to be complicit in my opinion. And you don't necessarily have to agree with me, whether or not we are going to continue, we the people are going to continue to be complicit in our own demise. Yeah, no, I agree. And I'd love to know what you see on the ground because it does feel in my in my work that we've seen a real tipping point happening here. And that's the fact that if you're a kid in America, you are most likely to die from a gun more than any other way of dying. And if you are an adult, you either have been a victim of gun violence, you know someone who's been a victim, 
or you know someone who knows someone. So effectively, we're reaching the same tipping point to where this is an inescapable issue. And at the same time, the NRA, which was once the most powerful gun group in America, is now struggling to even keep its lights on. And they're almost bankrupt under lawsuits and mismanagement. So there's this window, I really feel, a window now to do really powerful change. But Democrats have got to have the political will to do it. Well, Max, I, I, I do, I really do hope that you are correct on that. I mean, some of the things that you identified and laid out about what some Democratic leaders have been doing in the states does give us some hope. However, you did point out rightfully so that we need federal action so that yep. it's not just this hodgepodge from state to state, but that the federal government as as Senator Warnock laid out in his floor speech that we showed at the top of this segment. We need the federal government to have the intestinal fortitude to do something. And Max, I mean, we can't let Republicans off the hook. We're not gonna let anybody off the hook. But the 117th Congress, that was a probably the best opportunity we had during this Biden presidency to, to really do anything about it. There was a moment in the Obama presidency that we had the opportunity to really do something about it. But in each of those times when Democrats controlled both chambers of the Congress, nothing that was deep really happened. Yeah, it's it's a, a history of missed opportunities and people have gotten more and more frustrated. I mean, you remember in 2007 after the Virginia Tech shooting, Democrats actually went out to the press and said, we're absolutely not going to pass any gun reform because we don't want people to think we're anti-gun. Yes. That's changed so much. And it's in part, you know, that gun support for gun reform is at the highest level ever. And the answer is to hold everyone accountable. If there are Democratic politicians in your district who are soft on gun reform, find candidates who are tough on it and primary those people because they are not helping us and they are certainly not helping you. Yeah, there it is, Max. Oh my God. Let's return to some of our comments. We got, I think it's Sexy Speed Racer again and jump back in here. United States of America, the world's largest open air shooting gallery. Wow. Yeah, you got that right. And thanks, NRA, by the way. What happened to the to investigate the investigation of the NRA taking Russian money? I'm not sure what happened to that. Putin is laughing at the chaos he's been able to cause in our country with just a small investment of larger rubles. You might be right about that sexy speed racer, but I do love the part about what you said. Not love it, but your point about the world's largest open air shooting gallery. You got that right. And on Twitch, Layman Shaman, America has housed what was left of the of the Nazis post World War II, allowing them to fester and grow in our shadows. The same shadows the Confederacy has been hiding or heading in and now they feel strong enough to come out into the sun. We need to eclipse them once and for all. We need to call Nazis what they are and put them in prison where they belong. All right, Layman Shaman, I'm not so sure that these are Nazis doing this per se, but I do understand your point. I mean, we just gotta call out white supremacy, bigotry where we see it and the whole notion of white supremacy and what it has done to this country over the generation since the inception of this country. And that same white supremacist, anti-black, 
spirit lingers on in the 21st century. Many thanks to all of you. We about to jump on DeSantis here. We're going into Florida. Ron DeSantis has found a new way to make Floridians lives even more of a living hell. Get a load of this headline right here. DeSantis accused of favoring insurance industry donors at residence expense. Florida governor has lavished the industry with favors and benefits while everyday Floridians suffer. This is coming from a key Report. So when we talk about the system being rigged and that politicians are for sale, this is yet another example that you will continue to hear about and to see on Unboss. Now, a report claims the following Ron DeSantis, the right wing Republican governor of Florida and a likely 2024 presidential candidate, has handed favors to his big money donors in the insurance industry at the expense of cash strapped residents of his state. The report is called How Ron DeSantis Sold Out Florida Homeowners and was put together by various groups. Now the groups that contributed to this report are as follows. The American Federation of Teachers Union, Nonprofit Center for Popular Democracy, Florida Rising, and Hedge Clippers. Now what does the report contain? The report pinpoints the insurance industry as a crucial underwriter of DeSantis's meteoric rise to the governor's mansion and as a potential White House contender and alleges that this may have influenced his decision making. Reporting coming from David Smith of The Guardian. DeSantis who ran a successful reelection campaign last year and friends of Ron DeSantis, a political action committee that supported him have taken a combined $3.9 million. We might as well just gonna round that up to $4 million in contribution from, from insurance industry players. If donations to the Republican Party of Florida since January 1, 2019, days before DeSantis assumed office are added, this total swells to more than $9.9 million. Or in other words, as I was taught in math, you can go ahead and round up when it's that 10 million dollars. The author's analysis of campaign finance data also found that two property casualty insurance firms donated a combined total of $125,000 to DeSantis's 2023 inaugural celebration, which marked the beginning of his final term as governor in the term limited state. That's no coincidence that the DeSantis administration has put insurance companies interests over that of the citizens of that state. It is no surprise, just go ahead and follow the money. The man is answering to his owner donors, just plain and simple, like right out in the open, not even trying to hide it. And most of which of these homeowners are battling the insurance rates that have near that are nearly triple that of the national average. This year, insurance price hikes are expected to average 40%. And here's one specific incident. Tracy Ann Brown, 53, said by phone from Miami, quote, the prices are horrendous. Our insurance went up to $1,800 per month, and I could not afford it with my husband's salary and my salary put together. We had a home that we had to take the insurance off, and unfortunately, our house caught fire on Easter Sunday, and we didn't have insurance on it. My God, my God. And the reporter further writes, instead of fixing problems, with Florida's property insurance industry, DeSantis has lavished the industry with favors and benefits while everyday Floridians suffer. Max, your thoughts? 
I'll tell you, Ron DeSantis is just the king of coincidences, isn't he? I mean, not just this, but this is the same Ron DeSantis who passed through his legislature funding for a bunch of new private prisons, literally a month after private prison executives gave his campaign hundreds of thousands of dollars. It just seems so interesting that all of these things seem to happen for companies right after the checks hit Ron DeSantis's bank account. I mean, this is a guy who's made no secret of the fact he doesn't just have a for sale sign on his back. I mean, it's lit in neon. And the only downside here is that it's killing him with the voters that he's gonna need for this presidential run. Because grifting Floridian retirees on their insurance, not exactly a way to win votes. Oh, Max, I hope you are right. Cuz I have, I say to Florida, every time we do a story about this man, I say, Florida, get your governor and don't let him become president of the United States. So Max, I want you to be right. I hope the elders in Florida really, really see that this man is not for them, but he's not for anybody of any age. Oh Lord, this man cannot become president of the United States of America. So it keeps on going. So we're going from Florida with DeSantis to the great state of Texas. The Texas state government is poised to enact a new law giving the governor appointed Secretary of State the ability to overturn elections in the state's biggest counties. And I'm sure you can guess that some of those biggest counties, you know, those biggest counties are very diverse, don't you? Take a look at this. 1993, Secretary will read the caption. Committee substitute Senate Bill 1993 relating the authority of the Secretary of State to order a new election in certain counties. Secretary will call the roll. Alvarado, Bettencourt, Birdwell, In 19 ayes and 12 nays, the bill is passed and engrossment will hold there, Senator Middleton. Mm, in certain counties, did y'all hear what she said? The legislation, Senate Bill 1993, passed in the Texas Senate on Tuesday by a vote of 19 to 12, as you just heard. Let's take a closer look at the bill. According to the text of the bill, the Secretary of State, a position appointed by Republican Governor Greg Abbott and is currently held by Jane Nelson, would have the authority to throw election results in counties wherein 2% or more of the polling locations ran out of ballot paper for more than one hour. In the event that an election was thrown out, a new one would then be held. And we know it's harder for people to go back and vote all over again, and it's a lot of confusion. But that's what they want, because Republicans can't win unless they cheat. What this means is that Governor Abbott would have precedent-setting power to reverse elections if the bill passes as expected. There is no reason, there is no excuse why we can't competently run our elections and have adequate ballot paper. Republican State Senator Mays Middleton, one of the bill's co-sponsors said, according to the Houston Chronicle. So the question is, how did this come up? Well, 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 the specific parameters of the bill were inspired by incidences in Harris County during the 2022 midterm elections in which 26 out of the county's 782 polling locations were affected according to the Houston Chronicle. Despite the relatively small number of locations affected, the issue was seized upon by Texas Republicans, some of whom claimed that the shortages cost them their races, ultimately leading to the push for legislation that resulted in Senate Bill 1993. Middleton said the shortage 
stopped countless people from voting on election day like they give a damn about that. But a Houston Chronicle study concluded that the paper shortage did not alter the outcome of the elections in Harris County, defying Republicans claim of voter suppression in GOP leaning areas. So Max, we have a case of never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Yeah, I mean, this law is a great example of how corruption doesn't need to be complex. I mean, there's essentially two steps here. One is what the Republicans did last year, which is underfund the largest county election offices in the state. And now it's step two, is when those underfunded county election offices can't keep up with ballots, just invalidate their results and host a do-over election. I mean, this this isn't peewee football. You don't get do-overs in elections because you don't like the results. And the sad thing is, this isn't just Texas. I mean, other states are using this now as a blueprint, not just to, to take away election results, but to essentially ban progressive activists from accessing ballot initiatives. I mean, these are multi-front wars on democracy, and almost no one in the national press is paying attention to them. No, that is exactly right. And, and Max, my home state of Ohio is one of them where the Republicans yeah. have super, 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 super majority. I mean, they didn't super that thing up since I left the Ohio Senate. But yeah, they, they want to make increase the threshold from a simple majority to 60% to get a ballot measure on. And that really only hurts activists who are trying to put things on um, on the ballot. And it makes me remember Senate Bill 5, which was you know anti-labor that the Republicans passed, but the voters in the state over overturned. It, thank God they did. But imagine if the bill that they're passing now, trying to pass now, was in effect, may not have been able to get it on the ballot in the first place. So if they can't win straight up, they just go ahead and rig the game. And it doesn't matter that the facts point. Otherwise, the Houston Chronicle said that what these Republicans are complaining about is really a non issue. They got the power, so they're changing the game. And so while the text of the legislation does not explicitly mention Harris County, the authority it would vest in the Secretary state applies only to counties with populations higher than 2.7 million. Now you ain't gotta be a rocket science to understand where they going with this. Harris is the largest county in Texas with nearly 4.7 million residents and the only one to meet the requirement. No coincidence, with the second largest Dallas County boasting only 2.6 million residents. Harris County has also tipped Democratic in every presidential election since 2008. So y'all, you know, you, you, you got your answer right there. We know exactly why they are doing this. And once again, this is all just a tactic to silence voters. It really is just that. Simple. Harris County Attorney Christian Menifee told the told the Cron that the bill was quote about targeting the largest county in the state, which is led by people of color. Go ahead and tell that truth. This headline right here: Black voters are transforming the suburbs and American politics. An influx of black voters into suburbia holds enormous promise for Democrats, but Republicans are fighting back and indeed they're fighting back to fighting back by cheating. And how about this? Black Texas living in more of Houston suburbs, the black population of suburban census tract in Harris County. And we can see that black people are really moving into these communities. It's causing the Republicans a whole lot of angst, baby. The migration of black Americans in suburban areas was already a threat to the GOP. They know it and they're acting upon it. The suburbs were ground zero for gerrymandering this cycle. Michael Lai of the Brennan Center. Or Lee, maybe, of the Brennan Center said in a political magazine interview. Lee noted that 
in California where redistricting is left to an independent commission. The GOP actively courts minority voters. But in Texas, Republican map crafters quote sort of decided to lean in on finding a way to make districts white in quote. I mean, Max, they, they have no shame. No, they're being completely open that they don't particularly want to hear from voters. That if anything, voters are getting in the way of Republicans instituting their plans. I mean, you're taking away people's access to amend their own constitutions. You're saying essentially we can void your results whenever you want. And as you point out, these are minority communities. So it, it really is like Republicans spent the last century chasing black and brown people out of the suburbs, out of white cities. So these black and brown communities made their own cities. But boy, the hand of Republican oppression has certainly chased them to where they went to. And is now saying, you know, now that you're here, none of your votes are going to get to count in our state elections. How is that any different than just saying Jim Crow with a, with a little less overt racism in the language? There it is, it is, it is exactly the same thing. It is just more covert, you know, Jim Crow is wearing a suit now yeah. and sits respectably in the legislature. That's the only thing that's happening. Now the bill goes to the Republican controlled house and we know exactly what is going to happen. We will keep an eye on this story. Now to a friend of the show, David Sirota, that writing extraordinaire, and he warns neoliberals. David Sirota speaks truth to power, especially when it comes to establishment politics. Watch this. What do you think Biden is doing wrong such that he's, he's slipping a little bit from where he was? Well, I think that the amazing stat came from a Washington Post poll, which found that just 38% of Democrats want to see him as, the, as their own party's nominee. Uh, that is the lowest uh, number among a, a president's own party uh, this going back uh, decades. Uh, there, I don't think there really is a, a precedent in, in the modern day. The fact that there is such, I think, a, a lack of confidence in Biden uh, as a, a, and a lack of desire for Biden as the Democratic Party nominee really speaks to some serious uh, problems. And hopefully this president, this administration, or the president and the, and the Democratic Party will take heed. David Sirota was spot on in my opinion. The stakes in the 2024 presidential election are extraordinarily high. The twins of deception, neoliberalism and neofascism are colliding. And even with the present threat of neofascism on display in profound ways at the hands of the GOP, corporatist Dems are content with hanging out in the middle. And we know what happens when you hang out in the middle, you're gonna get ran the hell over. And let's go deeper in the article that David Sirota wrote for The Guardian. This headline right here, the Democrats think centrism will reelect Biden. That's a dangerous assumption. The party has settled on a new playbook, shifting right and hoping demoralized voters are repulsed by Republicans. And even though I think you know voters will be repulsed, repulsed by the GOP, that might not be enough to get them to the polls. The Democratic Party's political class has developed a rote formula over the last decade. Ignore rather than channel discontent among the party's rank and file voters. Prevent competitive primaries where those voters can act on their dissatisfaction and then hope to eke out general election victories on a wave of voter disgust with Republican Party's outlandish nominees. Your thoughts on this article, Max? 
Well, I, I really respect David Surratt. I think he's a really incisive mind, but I do think he's missing a little nuance on the frustration here. A lot of that came from the fact that for months, the Biden team was indicating they were gonna run a campaign that ran away from social issues, that they didn't wanna make a divisive campaign in 24. That now looks like it was almost an intentional head fake to the Republicans. Because Biden opened his campaign talking about abortion. He said he wants to make this about abortion, the defense of freedom, gun safety. And those are issues that a lot of progressive activists really value. So it'll be interesting to me to see if that boosts support for Biden over time. Because it is a very different Biden than I think a lot of progressives thought they'd see. Well, we shall see, Max. You and I are going to agree to disagree on this, and that's fine. I'm, I'm all with David Sirota on this, but we will see. You know, we got some receipts here. After a very good American Rescue Plan momentarily helped millions of people, you know, that happened and boosted Biden's standing among voters. Then Democrats cut off pandemic aid. They jacked up taxes on the working class. They stumped out a rail strike and didn't even help the you know didn't put no demands on the on the rail barons they expanded fossil fuel drilling amid the climate emergency the willow project is worse than anything that Trump did a part two of this they demagogued the crime issue and as the segment that we did a little earlier Max we see the Democrats are failing on calling out murder especially if it's a black homeless person they reappointed Trump's worker crushing Federal Reserve chair all while abandoning the minimum wage and health care promises they made in 2020, spiked the football by bailing out Silicon Valley bank tech moguls while the government moved to force up to 15 million people off Medicaid. So Max, I get how you how you feeling about this. I totally respect your opinion, but I'm rolling with David Sirota on this one, Max. I think Democrats yeah. got a lot more work to do. Oh, I no, I agree with you on that. There's a lot of bridge building to do. I mean, a lot of the work here is gonna be Biden convincing the left that this is actually gonna result in something. Because we've had a lot of words in the past from a lot of people and they seem to go away after the election. So if that's not the case, Biden's gonna be in trouble. Oh Yeah, and ultimately Max, it doesn't matter what you and I think, or Sirota is absolutely up to the voters. As long as you ain't got Republicans rigging the pathway for voters. That is our time today on Boss. It was so absolutely wonderful to have you on the show, Max Burns, and we cannot wait to have you back. And for all of you tuned in today, thank you so very much. All of the comments, everybody, just thank you so much for your support of the show and your support of the TYT Network. Now, you know what I want you to do about this time. I always, no matter how daunting things look, no matter how bad it gets, I do want you to keep the faith. But with that faith, baby, you know what we got to do. We got to put some fight behind it. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Idarola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.